Zimbra, this is you talking talking heads to my talking head, the comprehensive and encyclopedia compendium of all things talking heads. This is good rock and roll music. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show. You talking talking heads to my talking head. Um, I already said it, but it is the comprehensive en- encyclopedic compendium of all things Talking Heads. And um, a- an incredible third episode here for you. This is, of course, the third episode of this show. We've had uh, various episodes or various episode of our other topics. But uh, today we'll be talking about the Talking Heads album, the album by Talking Heads, called Fear of Music. Fear! of music where the wind comes sweeping down the plane fear now, of music now now scott wh- what's that from that's from uh, the album that we're going to be talking about fear of music oh okay sorry i i uh, you're right i just i was kind of consulting my notes here and that's the first try it's the uh, opening track when uh, you know when david byrne comes riding up on the horse and he's right right like uh, oh that part of the album was just mute for me there's nothing it i play oh, it's it a pre- yeah it's a pre-lap you basically have to uh, on the cd you have to rewind track one and there's a whole like musical essentially oh i'm listening on 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 nine inch tape. Oh, with, okay. is that how Hold nine on. inch nails got their name? Yeah, it's a parody of nine inch tape. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. What do you? How do you I didn't realize they were a parody band. Oh yeah, they're like the Weird Al of you know. Wait, oh, so when they say I want to fuck you like an animal, what are they parodying? Oh, they're they're making fun of that that old song by uh, by Grand Funk Railroad. Oh wait. I want to funk you like an animal? That's right. Or I, I want to fuck you like Grand Funk Railroad would. I want to funk you <laughs> like a manimal, and it was all about that. Oh, the that 80s show, show Manimal, yeah. yeah. That was a good show. And how funky Manimal was. Is this an uh, advertisement for Peacock, like the 30 Rock show was? <laughs> I think it might be. Because <laughs> I think they're showing Manimal on the 80s station there. Um, welcome to the show. This is, hey, look, you know, uh, uh, we've heard his voice and we've heard my voice. So why don't we just introduce each other? Um, you know him as uh, the gentleman actor from such shows as Party Down. And uh, I feel like I saw you in something the other day, but then I immediately forgot it. Is that pretty much the story of your career? <laughs> yeah. Well, you immediately changing the channel certainly seems to be. The, oh, no, uh, I, 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 I was all in. I watched the whole thing and then it just faded from my memory somehow. Huh. You, uh, so what are you doing? Like uh, on our previous episodes, and I'll introduce you in a second. You have not sat down. You've stood the entire time. Now you're yeah. away from the mic and you're slapping your hands like you're wiping dirt off of it. What, what is going on? Uh, no, I, I'm i trying to keep the headphones on and be very gentle so it, so as not to pull the computer off the uh, shelf here. But what were you doing down there? Because you bent over and I heard a slapping sound underneath uh, sl- uh, your oh, waist I was, area. I was going. No, I was going. I have a toilet in here. So. Oh. Um, and you need to slap your butt in order to get the the poop out. That's right. I was grabbing my bag off the floor, 
to grab something out of it and why don't um, you talk in the fucking mic stop looking at your bag because i'm t- i'm pointing to where i don't I was. care i don't care i know well, the audience has was... to know so i need to point <laughs> your mic technique leaves a lot to be desired my friend oh, is all my i'm saying mic technique okay mike wallace what if you had to slap your butt like you slap the butt of a horse in order to get it going it, when you every time you go to the bathroom you have to <laughs> yes. slap your butt <laughs> come on get out Come I on, feel get. like I feel like the world would be different if that's <laughs> I think it would. I think so many of the world's issues wouldn't be a problem anymore. Well, maybe, but I think there would be other problems. I'm just I'm not yeah. saying it would be better. I'm just saying the world would be different. It would be uh, considerably different. What if we had three arms and there was one just jutting out of your chest cavity? What if we had three arms and or four arms, one chest, chest cavity, one I coming out arms. of the small of your back, and its only purpose is to slap your butt to get things <laughs> going. Honestly, that it is a fault of the human design that we cannot see our backs. We can't touch parts of our backs, like the whole right. sunscreen thing where I you know. have to. That's the only reason people get married, I think, is so that you have someone. There's two reasons. Okay, two reasons I got married. Okay. I need someone to put sunscreen on that part of my back sure. that I can't reach. And I don't want to eat alone because what if I start choking? There's no one to do the Heimlich on me. Yeah. That's, the only that's two reasons bummer. to get married. And you uh, you do get the Heimlich done to you uh, every night. Every single night dinner. before I go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> right before dinner. Basically, I have a three-course meal delivered yep. to me in bed. That's right. <laughs> I choke on a chicken bone every single night. <laughs> She administers and it's not, the there's Heimlich. no meat on it, anything. You could be having nope. pizza and you finish it off by mm. shoving that chicken bone down your throat. What's for dessert, honey? Mmm, chicken bone. Yummy. And then uh, spatui, it goes out, goes flying across the room, and then yep. I am out like a light. That is, a baby has had a full day at that point. That's exhausting, choking like that. It certainly is. But speaking of choking like that, here's a man who likes to joke. He likes to be joking <laughs> like that. Oh, he uh, got my number. He is currently uh, on the television program Don't, which is on the American Broadcasting Company. Love or leave it on Thursday nights. What do you uh, mean, check love it or leave it? America and the, and the American <laughs> Broadcasting Company. Love it or leave it. Like remember, I'm born on the Fourth of July. Love I it or leave it, it, man. Love it or leave it. What is this? I love films or what? Yes. Welcome to I Love Films. This is Scott. And this is Scott. And today we're just talking about classic lines from movies. Uh, I mean, we got, we're going to need a bigger boat, E.T. phone home. And Adam, you were saying before the show started, there's another classic line from Born on the Fourth of July. From Born on the Fourth of July, 1989, Oliver Stone, Tom Cruise uh, joint. Uh, Love it or leave it. Love it or leave it, man. The born on the Fourth of July T-shirts and bumper stickers and stuff it was a huge thing in late eighties. Huge thing! It was like, uh, uh, the, remember those Forrest Gump uh, T-shirts? Because yeah. his his catchphrase was "shit happens." But yeah, shit say, happens. Can't say shit on a uh, on a T-shirt. It 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 was it was it, the full catchphrase was "shit happens, farts are silent." <laughs> But you can't do that on a T-shirt. So instead they say gump happens. That's right. And then it just segued into Bubba Gump Shrimp Company T-shirts, which uh, I have a collection of. 
Those are particularly great t-shirts. There's there's a Bubba Gump uh, shrimp company at, I believe it's the Atlanta airport. And it's, it's is one that, of the best. Is that a good one? What, oh, it's, what? it's great. It's because delicious. I, I, I really, I love to collect great Bubba Gump shrimp companies. So that's, that's a good one, huh? Yeah, they've got, actually, I believe I purchased a Bubba Gump shrimp company t-shirt for John Schrader at that <laughs> Bubba Gump, if I'm not mistaken, I got one. Why would you be mistaken about that fact? What what would have happened? Uh, Did I forgot? Well, two things. Maybe I forgot to give it to him, or maybe (laughs) I left it in the airport or on the airplane. (laughs) Meanwhile, you're wearing a Bubba Gump t-shirt right now. (laughs) But I do not remember giving it to him, so there's a chance that... But I do remember purchasing it, and it was outrageous. What are some of the t-shirts that you and Tall John... Now, we've talked about Tall John on this program many times. Yeah. Mutual friend of ours, uh, longtime friend of both of ours. What, and I know that uh, he has T-shirts of you and and yeah. you have to what, but describe some of these T-shirts. Well, I think it started with me giving him a T-shirt uh, with my picture on it. Um, I think that's where it started. And, and not a not a headshot like a like a disposable camera picture or something that you'd put onto a T-shirt. <sighs> Boy, um I'm not sure what the what the uh what the photo was. I not sure I don't what remember. that source was. No. But then like a year later, he gave me a t shirt with a picture of him wearing that t shirt. Right. On I've it. seen that one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wait, then I then I saw a picture of you next to him while he wore that t shirt. And that's up yeah. in his house. But did he make a t shirt of that? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and I'm wearing the one that he gave me, but I feel like well, there you was really wh- make a, a story come to life. I feel like there was. I know, it's <laughs> it's all half shards of memories, <laughs> long uh, I forgotten. Think I have this running joke with Tall John that I don't yeah. remember why it started or why we're doing. I have it no idea why it started or are, where why, it ended up. <laughs> why did I ask? I don't know. But you gave me a T-shirt for one of my birthdays. Uh, I believe we went to, uh, for one of my birthdays, we went to the Universal City Walk and had just a terrible <laughs> birthday where I think we went to the Western uh, place. Yeah, we did. One of them, I went to, I went to Hooters and, and I oh, got, I got all the, I Hooters. don't think I was there for that. You one. weren't, you weren't there for what that one, but I got all the Hooters waitresses to sign a t-shirt that I got. <laughs> <laughs> but for this one, th- that was in Burbank. This was at uh, Universal City Walk. We went to the Saddleback Cafe or whatever, Ugh. where people can ride the, uh, the bull, mechanical bull. There's never been an atmosphere less, uh, <laughs> it's so less terrible. celebratory than in that place. It's I can't so imagine. Dour. Getting on the mechanical bull in the in a we've place done like it. That. We've done it before. I mean, oh, it's yeah. just a it's just a terrible place to do <laughs> celebrate a birthday and, and gross then, food. Gross food, and then we went. And this, I actually was excited about. This is when the movie The Amazing Spider Man came out, and Spider Man, of course, is one of my favorite uh, uh, characters in uh, literature. Yeah, sure. And. Um, I was excited by it, and it was the midnight showing because my birthday was uh, uh, – it's July 2, and, and I think it came out on July 3rd or so. So they had like a 10 o'clock showing or a midnight uh-huh. showing. And it was such a bummer because that movie is not my cup of tea when was it comes to Spider-Man. Was that sequel to the – That was the first one with uh, the dude who played the guy in the Iron Andrew Long. Garfield. Yeah, Garfield. But Which, as, as Neil Campbell says, if he, when he was a kid, he had gotten – 
uh, word from the future that Garfield plays Spider-Man, he would have been so excited. <laughs> um, <laughs> the thought of Garfield playing Spider-Man is such a great, that is oh, great I casting. Would 100% go see that movie. Definitely. Uh, Here's my question. I don't yeah. think I went to the movie with you guys. I think I went to I think to you dipped out. You dipped out Saddle right before Ranch. the movie. Yeah, you went to Saddle Ranch. You gave me a t-shirt, which I believe you bought at Universal yeah. City Walk, yeah. that had a switch in it to where it would light up like neon yeah. uh, stuff would light up. And it but, was and like- it said like Hollywood on it. It said Hollywood and it was like a size too small. Yeah. <laughs> but I still, like I put You're it welcome. on and put it on over my other clothes <laughs> while we watched the movie. Um. Here's my question. There was also yeah. a sequel to that. Yes, Amazing Spider-Man Sp- 2. Yes. Oh, I thought it was I thought the Amazing Spider-Man was the sequel to Spider-Man. But that, that is the wisdom of a fool. Yes. No, the the reboot was called The Amazing Spider-Man and then they had part 2. Yeah. How can you know so much about and by the way, uh we're still in the middle of I Love Films. How can you know so much about when uh Born on the 4th of July was released? And not know that The Amazing Spider-Man is not a sequel to any other Spider-Man movie. Because I did not see those particular Spider-Man movies. So your film knowledge is relegated to what you see. Yes, what's right in front of my face at the moment I'm talking about. This is a lot like uh, people's relation to religion. If they can see it, then they They believe believe it. it. And then to to which a lot of people would counter and say, well, you see the wind blowing through the trees. You can't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. Exactly. You believe in the wind, do you not? Right. And that's how I feel about the Mark Webb uh, Spider-Man movies. See, I know who directed them. (laughs) You sure do. (laughs) Well, what else would I expect from a co-host of I Love Films? I did not see those ones, but I did see the the next reboot. Sure. Uh, Those are great. It was great. Um, Now, the sequel to The Amazing Spider-Man, did you see that one? Yes, I did. How was that Weirdly enough, weirdly enough, most people say it's worse than The Amazing Spider-Man, but weirdly enough, I liked it better. I don't know why. And why Uh, is that, Scott? I just said, fuck. I just said I don't know why. I'm sorry. You're not listening to me. Was that the one with Jamie Foxx? I don't know. As Mr. Freeze? I'm not I'm not a guy who's out there tracking what Jamie Foxx does or doesn't do. I thought, sorry, I thought you were that one of those guys. No, I mean, Jamie, sure, yes, he followed up his tour de force, winning an Oscar in Ray with a movie called The Soloist with Robert Downey Jr., who plays old shellhead himself, Tony Stark, Iron Man. Okay, so see, to me, that sounds like someone that's keeping track of what Jamie Foxx is up to. Maybe, but I'm not a guy who's just sitting there going like, ooh, what's Jamie Foxx up to today? Did he star in a Spider-Man movie? That's not me, man. I have my own shit going on. So you have a Spider-Man blind spot as far as Jamie Foxx is concerned. Other than that, any Jamie Foxx questions you can answer. I don't see Jamie Foxx when it comes to Spider-Man. I I see Electro. I see. Okay. (laughs) That makes sense. So I have no idea if he started it or not. All I saw was a great movie. You saw Electro in With Electro and the Rhino. He could have played any one of Which may or may not could have been. Sure. Who knows? Jamie Foxx. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Good up. They got a little off track. There. Little meandering. Little meandering. That is, uh, uh, of course. Little meandering is so cute. Ah, uh, good old little meandering. Boy, I'd like to see him play Spider-Man. 
along Me with too. Garfield. Little Maybe Garfield meandering. should be Electro and Little Meandering should be. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's Spider-Man. reboot it. <laughs> Let's reboot it again. Um, I do have to introduce you. You know him from Don't. He is how much? How much? How 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 long is that on the air? Like, does it stop in September or like how many episodes? Did, did you just film a million of them or? What? Yeah, we filmed one million uh, episodes. <laughs> I feel like it's going to end soon. It's we did eight of them, so it's not. You that did, many. Oh yeah, yeah. So I've I've uh, I've checked off ar- around six on my list. Um, so maybe only a couple more. Anyway, you still have ch- uh, a chance to see him in the season finale. Hopefully not the series finale. Coming up soon. Those shows shoot fast. Like we did that in four days. <laughs> I, I would not be surprised if you said we did that in four hours. <laughs> they Now that I, would be great. <laughs> so you did eight episodes in four days. That's incredible. Yeah. And then how much post, though? Because it seems like there's a lot of heavy lifting in post. Uh, I mean, we would do... Well, Adam I did Scott it here is in my here. Closet. Welcome, Adam. Hi, hi, hi. <laughs> hey. We don't have to talk about post-production on the game <laughs> sure, show. Sure, why would we? Um, you going to introduce me or what? Oh, man. Everybody, he's taking everybody. Taking a sip of water right as, right as I ask him. You know him from everything. You know him from the wonderful, the very handsome... Sunglasses wearing on the inside of his house. <laughs> Scotty Ackerman. Hey, oh, hey, oh, oh daylight wow. come. Yes. Oh, yeah. You like that song? Well, you ever it, see Beetlejuice? The, what's that? Oh, man. He doesn't want to say his name three times. This guy, I, I was trying to trick him. He will not get me to do that. You know what <laughs> I saw? What? I saw the uh, Broadway. Uh, yeah, that's great. That. It's yeah. terrific. So good. Uh, a friend uh, co-wrote it. Yeah, that's why yeah. I went. Wait, because your friend co-wrote it or because my friend co-wrote it? It might be the same friend, Anthony. It, don't say his name. No one wants to say. Oh, no, I thought you said Beetlejuice. No. <laughs> You're not going to get me to say that B word one more time because the third time it will summon him. Um, welcome to the show, Adam, the mustachioed man of mystery. Um Adam, I, I was going to say, you have grown your ha- hair out to such a length that you now, much like John McEnroe or uh, Andre Agassi, need to tame it by some sort of a headband. Is that correct? That's right. And um, I was growing my hair out for a project. And then um, this happened. And so I guess now it's just going to be even longer once we start uh, shooting the old the old girl. Well, were you and please don't tell me what this project is, but were you hoping to have even longer hair? Is this delay a blessing for whatever look you're going for? Are you are you going uh, part B of this question? Are you going for a Tom Hanks in what is that movie Castaway. where he's no, not not that one, not as extreme as that, that but, thing you do. Not not that one, definitely. But there's that movie where he's like underground. Angels searching. and Demons? No, not that one. It's like... Uh, da Vinci uh, Code? The, yeah, no, not that one. Uh, it's like... Bosom uh, Buddies? Bosom Buddies. Are you going for a right. Bosom Buddies thing? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, this is a show called Severance uh, that uh, Ben Stiller's directing. Uh, Patricia Arquette is also in it. Also some other... Uh, let me guess what this this Great show actors. is about, and you tell me if I can even get close to the okay. premise of right. the show. Okay, 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 okay. Guy 
played by you. Yeah. Very sad man. Spends his time watching Night of the Museum movies on a loop. Right. right. Gets fired from his job. Right. And his boss says, well, we're sorry we're firing you. I know you've been with the company for... 83 years or so, right. maybe less. I, I haven't kept track of, of your ins and outs. Um, we're going to give you a little something that I call, and then he looks in the camera and he winks with both eyes. So I guess it's more of a blink. And he says, severance. Right. And then you say, what did, what did you just call it? And he says, and he tries to wink again, but he can't do it. He can't close one eye. So he just blinks again. And he's like, severance is what I called it. And then you're like, how how many weeks? And he says, I don't know, one, two, buckle my shoe. What what are we talking about here? I don't know. Cut to black opening credits. Yes. Is that it? How close did I get? You're really cl- I mean, clearly you what read the script. Did you? Yeah. Were you at the table read? I don't I, I wrote the script, actually. At table reads, I'm so in the zone. I'm not even. I don't even see who's there. You, what is your? You know? Can you tell us what your character's name is? Can you give us that? Obviously, you've thought about it. You've uh, uh, incorporated it into your your thought yeah, patterns course. at this point. I've because grown my hair for yeah. for the character. You don't want anyone on set to say whatever this character's name is, and for you to say like, "Huh? Who's that? That's not me. I'm Adam no, Scott. No. What are you talking about?" I'm so about? deep when I go. When I start a project, um, so deep, put I'm your ass so, to sleep. I'm so deep in the character that I don't even know what the character's name is because I want to. It needs to be like it needs to feel like reality because just a regular everyday person out in the world uh, who's living their life, do they know what their name is? No, of course they don't. So That's why would point. I know what my name is as the character? You've been gesturing up to the camera, by the way. Are you? Have you uh, painted your fingernails? My daughter painted my fingernails. Oh, what do they look like? Let me look at those bad boys. They're those black are... with with yellow uh, bow ties dots on them. Oh, they're I, dots. Okay, they're dots like a cow, like cow spots. That's that I know what idea. dots are, like dipping Sorry. dots. The ice cream of the future. Yes, cow dip, cow flavored dipping dots. <laughs> the dipping dots that taste like cow butt. <laughs> cow butt. <laughs> um, cows, by the way, they fart so much. That um, we got a problem up there in the ozone. Am I right, my boy? Oh, yeah. But listen, we all like a good cow fart, right? Hell, yeah. That's why we keep them around. But oh, yeah. if, if that's the price, if my freedom is the price that we have to pay so I can, you know, get a little keep cow, them cow farts. farts. <laughs> yeah. You know, one thing about the uh, about the quarantine that's actually a, a bit of a blessing in disguise. Yes. Now we have the freedom to take that day trip out to the pasture, a cow pasture, and get right up in there and let a cow just fart in your face. <laughs> With no one around. The best way to No do one it. around to bother you or you don't have to stand in line. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, anyway. Have you, you ever been next to a cow? They don't keep them in the zoo. I think that's, you know... I don't know. It's kind of weird. Did you, did you, when you were in elementary school, did you have the guy bring the cow with the hole in it and they can reach inside and pull stuff out of its stomach? Uh, a, a live cow? Yes. It just stands there eating 
and the farmer's like, all right, now we reach in and, uh, and this is partially digested cud. And it, and then he oh, puts it back you, in. I thought you meant he was pulling like his intestines out. And no, he pulls out food from its stomach that's partially digested. This somehow this sounds familiar to me, like it happened to me, or maybe I've told the story before. No, I'm no, sure we'll... I mean it, it. I have a picture in my mind of seeing this. Um, by the way, we were talking about weird things that we couldn't ever explain. In our last episode, and I this this makes me remember a new one when we're talking about school programs. When I was probably six, because it was at my old school, and I, I moved years old, to, uh, yeah, years old, uh, inches long as well in terms okay. of penis length. Sure, we there was a program. I remember being outside and watching it, and it had like people dressed as clowns in it. And during the climax of the show, they all got up and went into the audience and got us kids to like clap along and stuff like that. And one of them looked down at me and said, hi, Scott. And then went back up on stage. And I was like, how did they know my name? I looked down. I'm not wearing a name tag. Um. I was like, is it a cousin of mine or a relative of mine that has this job that I don't know about? I've never had it explained in my life. It must have been like a family friend or something, right? Or a teacher. Was it a teacher? Maybe a teacher. But why why not say it to all? If it's a teacher, say it to all the kids. Like, hi, Scott. Hi, you. Hi, you. And and plus, it was one of those programs that was – uh, you know, they'd obviously paid them money to come to the school and they go around to different schools. So it wasn't like a homegrown program of teachers and stuff like that. It was all, you know, people that we didn't know. Right. It must have been a family friend or a church it friend or something be. like that. Oh, that's, that's so weird. That's the only way that I can reconcile it in my mind and not that, you know, this clown had mind reading telepathy. Th- that's also like. Because I remember when Poltergeist came out, that's when this whole like clowns are They're scary thing started. Back. Here's Johnny. Ouch! Right? <laughs> phoning home now. They're phoning home. <laughs> they have a bad connection. But isn't that where the whole aren't clowns scary thing start? That's an interesting question, because, yeah, I do remember the clown suddenly. He had a clown puppet. Look, I think this is an episode of I Love Films, first of all. Oh, 100 percent. Hey, everyone. Welcome to I Love Films. This is Scott. And this is Scott. And we're two guys. Look, I'm just going to say it. It's right there in the title. We love films. Oh, Scott. Just... Saying that word, film, celluloid, it gets me going. I have three words for you that are going to get your juices flowing, my man. Sen, nem, uh. Ugh. I love it. That just makes me want to jump up, run out to my local theater, get some corn, sit down, and watch a film. So with corn on the cob just dripping. Dripping. With covered butter. in butter. Just yeah. covered in butter that I got from the farmer's daughter. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> do you know Just, that old joke? <laughs> no. What is that? I don't know. Something to do with this. I, I remember being 
you know, eight or so inches long in the penis. And uh, uh, when I finally figured out that that's the only measure of age that we use, (laughs) correct? It was one for every year I've been alive. (laughs) One inch. Now Um, your penis is 50 (laughs) inches long. 29, 29. Yeah, 29. Um, But uh, uh, I remember hearing that farmer's daughter trope. Uh, and I was like, oh, are farmers daughters? But I I, th- I don't think that farmers daughters were necessarily the best looking women in the world as much as the, the men who came upon them were traveling salesmen and just incredibly horny. Would you would you agree? Wait, what? So the farmer's daughters were always like forbidden fruit, like don't touch my daughter. And then the the, the traveling salesman sees them. And there, and it's like boing, This is like the best looking woman I've ever seen, and that's what most of these farmers' daughters jokes are are predicated upon. The structure. Jesus, I don't know. I don't think I'm aware of this. You haven't heard trope. any of the farmers' daughters. Okay, so there. Well, I know the farmers' daughter motel in Hollywood, and you know the lyric in the Beach Boys song, "Wish they all could be California girls." They have Midwest farmers' daughters. Blah 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 oh, blah okay. blah blah blah. Okay. So so yeah. it's a trope, sort of in like old jokes, where the setup is always like three traveling salesmen. Their car breaks down. They go into yeah. a farm, and the guy's like, "Yeah, you can sleep in my barn." Um, yeah, but uh, just don't fuck my daughter. <laughs> And then they see the daughter. It's like, oh, holy shit. Right. Um, okay. And then the hot buttered corn one is is something to I, I don't really remember, but it has something to do with um, sticking ears of corn inside the look. Uh, there's no way. No Whoa. other way to say this, but inside the hoochie coochie <laughs> of Jesus the farmer's Christ. daughter. Um, in any case, and then it was hot buttered corn. And I, I don't, I don't recall the punchline, but maybe someone could look it up and, and let us know. But my point being, good lord, I don't, th- you know, you all, so I, you hear about this and you're like, oh, farmers' daughters, farmers' daughters, Beach Boys, they love farmers' daughters. I think the traveling salesmen are just very, very horny, and these are the first, you know, women they've seen in in weeks, right? Because back then, traveling salesmen. They traveled with blindfolds on at all times. Of course. Yes, of course. You, they, they didn't want to know where they were going. Basically, no, no, people no, no. put a hood over their, their face, threw them they in were the hostages. back of a van. Yeah, they were. And it was it was Al-Qaeda was basically kidnapping they these were traveling running, salesmen. Yeah. They were running the kind of underground uh, kind of barter system that was our economy back in those days. That's right. Al-Qaeda used to run our economy. Because if you notice money... By the way, is this an episode if you notice money? Yeah. Hey everyone, welcome to If You Notice Money. This is Scott and this is Scott. And we're talking about things that are on uh, uh my personal god that dollar dollar bill. Oh man, the sweet sweet I, I just hearing the sound of change jingling in my old pock. <laughs> That gets me going. Oh, boy. Um, but there are a lot of things on money if you stare at it. Yeah. You ha- you've you never even noticed it before. Like, Oh, there are pictures. I don't know if you've ever taken a look at uh, the old the old currency we call by the way, dollar bill. Tur- turn that dollar bill that you undoubtedly have in your pocket oh, right yeah. now. I turn got a it, few of them. Turn it over. There's a whole bunch of stuff on the back. 
Yeah, there's, I don't know if you've noticed, but there are pictures, but then also some writing. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. There's like, a lot of people have never noticed there's uh, a pyramid on money. Yeah. If you've noticed money. As far as noticing money, have you noticed that the pyramid, its top has exploded and it's in the process of shooting straight up into the sky? It's actually a volcano. Have you? Yeah. A lot of people have no idea. Volcano pyramids. A lot of people have never noticed there are numbers on money, too. And no, I'm not talking about the serial numbers. We all have seen those. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know those because every dollar we get, we're checking to make sure is not on the FBI counterfeit list. Right. And as soon as you get any cash, you have to put it in order of serial number in your wallet. Of course. Everybody yes. does that. Everyone does that. And then wash your hands five times, turn around as many times as there are cracks on the sidewalk. Of course, we all know that. But you were saying if you notice with money, uh, there the numbers- are numbers. On this money, they're in the corners. Yeah. And they're yeah. the numbers that correspond to how many monies monies is. Yeah, it denotes the uh, value of said uh, currency. Note. So, so take the $1 bill, for instance. We okay, all know it. Bill. We all have a bunch of them. Yeah. Look in those corners or corns. To bring it back to uh, the farmer's daughter, there are ones in the corners of this yeah. money. Incredible, big old unos right in the right in the uh, right in the old corn. And this all has to do with Freemason shit. And you know, I mean, we all know the 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 our forefathers. Um, you know, we're all Freemasons and all you know had secret well, societies. It's because Al Qaeda was r- running the the economy of. And it's Al, a guy named Al. Yeah. Kata. It's not, the, it's not Al Qaeda. It's a guy of... named Al Qaeda, actually. Owl. It was, it was a, a living, breathing. I know what you're Large. saying. Most owls are living and breathing, other, unless they're in an owl cemetery. Right. But this one wasn't. This was an owl that ran this uh, sort of underground society of s- blindfolded salesmen. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Interesting. All right, here we are back in doing a wonderful episode of I Love Films. That's right. Second episode this uh, this week. Yeah, That's they're it. busy over there. They're uh, really busy. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening to I Love Films. We love you. We'll see you next uh, time. Thanks. We bye. Love you so much. Bye. So, in any case, your hair is long. That's right. Is it as long as it's ever been? No, I, there's a movie I've seen you in where you had like almost shoulder length hair or maybe it was Boy Meets World or something like that. Yeah, I've had long hair before, but um, not for years and years and years. Yeah. So this is uh, a really exciting time. <laughs> is Naomi ever going to cut those bad boys? Hairs. It's You know what? It's going to be up to uh, the old makers of the show how I'm just going to let it go. And see where it all lands when we get back to work. So do you think your next haircut will be in production, day one of shooting, you'll you'll be looking scraggly AF, and you're just like, have at it, do whatever you want. Yeah, I think that is probably my next haircut is whenever we, like we were, all the sets are there, it's all built ready to go we Those were poor lonely sets 
Yeah, they're all just empty, beautiful, big sets. You know what I love is a good set. I love sets. Is this an episode of I Love Sets? Yes. Hey everyone, welcome to I Love Sets. This is Scott. And this is Scott. And we're talking about sets. I I, I know oh, our sets. sets. Our sister show, I Love Films, they talk about films from a macro level. Certainly they talk about... The sets, the actors, the directors, everything. But we just focus right here on the sets. Yeah. And then there's the sports uh, tennis themed I love sets uh, that yes. we do not want to be confused. We with. don't want to be confused with that. I know um, tennis is very popular these days um, and everyone is is talking about their favorite sets. Um, you know, Agassi versus McEnroe, the two tennis players I know as yeah. referenced earlier in the show in, in our sister show but um no this is about sets and films what is your favorite set in a film or I'll take a oh. movie you mean movies that I've been in or just movies just movies in general I'll take the entire cinema history from the the train coming at the camera to bloodshot oh well in bloodshot the kind of bad guy headquarters yeah uh, that's my favorite set I've ever seen. Wow. What, what is so special about it? It's just, it's cool because it looks like sort of a an converted, like it's a warehouse, but they've converted where? it into a, uh, where is the warehouse? Where? The warehouse. Yeah. It's, it used to be like a record store. Right. And they've converted into like a bad guy's headquarters. Okay. Interesting. So it's just like, do, do people come in and they're. They start flipping through records in the background sometimes or. Yeah. And uh, the Vin Diesel is All like. All right. This has been I Love Sets. Bye. Bye. I think even the host got bored of that. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. All right. We're going to come right back. This is, of course, you talking, talking heads to my talking head. Uh, we're going to come back. When we come back, we're going to be talking about Fear of Music, a great album by Talking Heads. We'll be right back with more after this. Hey! Welcome back. You talking, talking heads to my talking head. And we are talking about talking heads, but we're talking about the talking heads album, Fear of Music. And uh, before we got to that, Adam, we were talking about something um, on our last episode. Mm -hmm. We were talking about the Dennis Miller show uh, yeah. episode that you went to. Apparently, you had so much time on your hands as a young out of work actor. I mean, I was a young out of work actor myself, but I was kind of using my time a little more wisely, like writing spec scripts and, you know, right. doing comedy performances. But you were just like sitting around the house. And so you had a lot of time. So you would go to see uh, uh, your favorite bands do talk shows. Well, to be fair, this w I was in school when this happened. And what grade we, were you in? I was at uh, acting school. And so mm. we we went, someone got tickets and you know, being in a studio audience, I already told the story. So you're, 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 you're. I'm a student. Your excuse for this is that you're in acting <laughs> school and someone got you tickets. Okay, good to know. Thanks, Adam. Um, but uh, what we were talking about was the fact that you, 
yelled out uh, in the middle of a Cowboy Junkie song. That's right. You, you wooed or something like that. I, I don't really know. Well, you, yeah, I, I, I yelled out because I thought the song. You thought was the song over. was ending. Yes, and uh, but we were trying to find the clip. We could not. But several sharp-eyed and sharp-eared viewers and listeners sent us the clip, and we have it. I've not heard this. Oh, my so, God. So uh, uh, we don't have Dennis Miller admonishing you at the end of the clip, but we have the performance itself, and I'm backing it up a little, and we'll see if we can hear your woo. Okay. Um, this is Cowboy Junkies oh playing Southern Rain and Murder Tonight in the Trailer Park from 1992 on the Dennis Miller Show. Let's hear if, let's hear if we can hear Adam. <laughs> that was it. Hold on, let's back up. <laughs> Here, let's hear it again. <laughs> That's it. I would know that, yeah, anywhere. Oh, man. Yeah! And I was, I loved the Cowboy Junkies, so I was psyched. So by this... the way, by the way, that's three minutes and 51 seconds, or I would say maybe it's about 3.20 into their song. 3.20 is about what a TV appearance usually lasts. This song goes on. No, 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 that, that's two songs. Oh, it's two uh, songs. Oh, yeah. okay. But this song, like five seconds later, the song does end. She just Let's keeps singing. This is after the yeah. Here, if we can hear you now. <laughs> it's almost like you were cowed into not saying yeah again, like you, your, your yeah had been beaten out of you. Yeah, I was very embarrassed. Can, can we do something? Can we get a clean you saying yeah so that someone uh, can re-edit that song with you saying yeah after every time she stops singing. <laughs> so let's get it right here. Go ahead. Get away get a little away from the mic and let's hear you say yeah. 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 One more uh, a little higher pitched. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Someone please send us a, a re-edit of this video with any time she <laughs> takes any kind of a breath, put in a yeah. We'll have the Adam Scott re-edit of this. Oh, thank you so much to our listeners who sent us yeah. that. Uh, we, boy, insane. I tell you, there a lot of detectives out there finding all of these little gems from uh, uh, the early 90s when you were... Uh, <laughs> Pop doing up. extra work and sitting in studio audiences. <laughs> yes. I love it. Um, I mean, if someone can find my Matlock episode, I just have it on a, uh, a VHS tape. So if someone can find it, it's uh, uh, let's see, what can I remember from it? First of all, Andy Griffith was red as a beat when he showed up. <laughs> Are you saying he uh, did he have was, did he smell like booze? No, um, not that I know. I didn't get close enough to. Uh, basically, I was an extra that he he 
I was in front of a mansion where a murder took place, like a murder of a Madonna-like pop star or she was the suspect i can't remember and he had to make his way through the crowd to get to the police tape Hmm. and so i was close enough to him that he was there discussing the scene with the director and he sort of passed me by and you can see my like anthony michael hall and weird science haircut from behind (laughs) and i'm wearing like a suit jacket they said like come nice come in nice clothes so i came in like a suit (laughs) for a bystander oh my god we have to you have it on vhs i have it on vhs on youtube um, but, uh, but then the only other thing that I remember is, um, Mr. Griffith talking to the director and saying like, now, hold on, hold on. The, the line as it's written doesn't make any sense. And the director going, well, I think, yeah, it, it means this. And, 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 uh, uh, Andy Griffith saying like, well, who would say that? That doesn't make any sense. What do you mean? I'm going to change it to this. And he changed it to something that didn't make any sense at all. <laughs> and you could see the directors just checked out going like, yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, whatever. whatever. And so when you see the edit of the show, he then says this line, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it really made me laugh. I was, uh, I was, and no one cares. And no one cares because it was an episode of Madlock. I was 16 years old, lying that I was 18, and uh, because oh you had to God, be 18 in to order to this. do it. I did that in an episode of uh, something called Downtown, I think, with uh, uh, the guy who played Freddy Krueger, uh, Robert England. It was a TV show that he had on CBS. Ooh, and Downtown. I'm, I'm dancing a in a bar. Show? I think it was oh, a cop show, and I was dancing in a bar, uh, even though there was no music. That was when I learned that when you're when they have like a club scene in a bar, they can't play the music because you can't record the dialogue over the music. Right. So they would play just a little snippet of like something peppy. And then it would go silent and you were just supposed to dance in place like the music was happening. Oh, very embarrassing. I never saw that one, but uh, the, the Matlock episode is out there if anyone can find it. All right. Well, we're talking about a little album called Fear of Music. Are you excited, Adam? Yeah, this album is great. It kicks assholes. It kicks ass holes. Um, 1979, August is when it came out. 1979, so still in the 70s. Um, recorded in Chris Fartz and Tina Verymouth's Loft. Uh, in Long Island City, and also at the Hit Factory and the Record Plant, all in New York City. The genre, if I may be so bold as to say, it's new wave and psychedelic funk. Psychedelic funk? Oh, the Wikipedia has a uh, a citation for that. <laughs> yeah, what is that? Let me click on that citation. It's uh, the book Rip It Up and Start Again, post-punk hmm. 1978 to 1984, which I had until probably nine months ago when I gave away a lot of my books. Why don't we just call it post-pump why new wave and psychedelic funk i feel like it's neither of those things i think it's more psychedelic funk than it is post-punk i don't know um but who knows post-punk is very general post-punk to me yeah it's i i i i wouldn't even know how to describe it but like you know perubu i guess is the prototypical post-punk i don't know we're getting in the weeds on this anyway fear of music it's uh, 40 minutes and 40 seconds long. 40 for 40. Produced by, guess who? Oh, boy. Don't don't tell me. Yeah. Yeah. He's back. Oh, man. Guess who's back? Oh, of course he is. Of course. Sucking of course. on lemons. Oh, oh sour puss. Old sour puss. 
Brian, of course, he has to rear his head right when we're starting to have fun. Oh, fuck. Um, let's talk about the origins of Fear of Music. So uh, this is the third album by Talking Heads. And um, they just had a big hit with Take Me to the River, a top 20 hit. And I like on the uh, uh, Wikipedia, um, they mention how uh, they did... Saturday Night Live and American Bandstand with Take Me to the River. Um, but after the performance, this quote says, they decided they did not want to be regarded simply as a singles machine. <laughs> so Talking Heads didn't want to be just a singles band. They wanted to be... Uh, like an uh, album band. An album band. Um, all right. All right, sure. I don't know if they could have been a single. I mean, they had the hit singles, so uh, but I don't know whether they could have ever segued directly into just being like a singles band, but uh, it's a fanciful notion of whether they could have or not. First of all, they they met and they uh, did a bunch of demos mm-hmm. and um, they were not satisfied with it. Um, they didn't like the demos. This also I was reading today from the, the book that I just got, The Adventures of, or This Must Be the Place, The Adventures of Talking Heads in the 20th Century by David Bowman. Um, he was mentioning that this was the first album where David Byrne really took advantage of uh, Mr. Burns, of course. He took advantage of uh, the fact that George Harrison was in the band. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you have a Beatle in the band... Yeah, why not use him? Why not use him? So I guess the first two records uh, were sort of like written as... Mr. Burns being the only guitar player in a way, like he wrote Mm. all those songs uh, before George Harrison joined the band. And this was the first record where he really decided to incorporate the, the advanced sonic palette that George Harrison, I mean, the guy wrote like something in the way she moves. Yeah, And here is this album doesn't have here comes the sun on it. This one doesn't have here comes the sun. I don't think, I think that was on, that was on a Beatles record. I think is where it first premiered. Um, I think it's in Stop Making Sense, but, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you have this guy in your band, you got to use him, you know? Yeah. A lot of people called him the fourth Beatle. Well, I thought it was Ringo Starr was, Ringo Starr was the third Beatle and then- He was the third Beatle, George Harrison was the fourth. Yeah. Is that I mean, if you were counting it like this, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, George Harrison, then George Harrison is the fourth Beatle. You know what we should do? We should do a, um- a podcast on the Beatles to kind of just to give them a little little uh, exposure. Why don't we do it right now? Okay. From here comes the sun to a hard day's night. This is you beating around the bush about the Beatles, the comprehensive and encyclopedia compendium of all things Beatles, spelled with an A. This is good rock and roll uh, music. Hey, welcome to uh, the first episode of You Beating Around the Bush About the Beatles. And I want to introduce my co-host, Adam Scott. Hey, everybody. The Beatles were a rock and roll band from Liverpool that existed in the 1960s. Yeah, they were really popular at the time. Okay, we'll see you next time. Thanks, bye. Bye. Good at yeah, I I think that's the start of something 
pretty great. <laughs> I think it might be the, the end of something really great, too. Well, that's just as important as the beginning. Sure, sure. Um, act one and act three. Um, but yeah, the Beatles were great. And so when George Harrison joined the band, obviously, Mr. Burns is there saying like, God, I got to use this guy. I mean, he wrote some of the best Beatles songs. Yeah. Here well, comes about the time. sun. About time. So um, I will say, though, in Chris Fart's uh, book, he... Oh, yeah. Did you get that book, by the way? On our last episode, neither of us had gotten it. Yeah, I got it and I read it. And You read the whole thing? Yeah. I've and... read just a little sliver of it. Oh, okay. And this, oh, wait a minute. No, I was reading the novelization of the movie Sliver. Oh, well, you got it. I mean, that's very good. Yeah. Quite different from the movie, but in a good way. Movie's great. Is Sharon great. Stone naked in Chris Fartz's book? There is. There's one time that uh, she's naked, but I also, I had taken the, the novelization of Sliver and I had pulled one chapter out of it, just ripped it right out. Yeah. And I had forgotten w- w- where I had put it. Turns out I had accidentally put it into my Chris Farts book. Oh, using it as a bookmark? And then yeah, you just ended so up reading those pages? Oh, I read those pages. That happens so, to me all the time. Right. It's so confusing. I remember the first time I read the Bible, I was yeah. like, what is this old man having sex with a teenager for? And I, yeah. I'd ripped out Lolita. <laughs> happens to the best of us. Although, although I think in the Bible, a lot of old men probably had sex with teenagers as well in that. Yeah, but they didn't have lollipops back then. So oh, that's, that's how true. you tell the difference. Yeah. Man, if they had had lollipops during Bible days, <laughs> can you imagine Moses spending 40 years in the desert and him going like, it's not so bad. I got this little lollipop. Haven't I, love? With the the way the sea parting around him and he's just like, and, and. I mean, coming from a candy boy like yourself. Yeah, Adam, well, I know my stuff. <laughs> you certainly do. <laughs> I know my candy. <laughs> um, why oh, so in, about in Chris Fartz's book, yeah. he disputes that David Byrne just cold wrote all these songs. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to think. I've, I've gotten up to the fear of music part. Um, Apparently uh, more than once there were band meetings where... It was like music by Talking Heads, words, David Byrne, and he agrees to it. And then they get the first pressings of the album and it says, words and music by David Byrne. <laughs> right. And then and then that also happened with, uh, I believe, the song Warning Sign. Uh, Chris yes. Fart says that he wrote the words to it. And then when he got the album, it was like words and music by David Byrne. He had to say like, oh, no, remember? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Also, that book, I, uh, I haven't gotten to the end of it yet. I know you have... Um, the the book that I most liken it to is, and I don't know whether you've you've read this or just seen the movie, but American Psycho. Have you ever read that book? No, no, I saw the movie. Okay, so the book it was it was actually very influential on me when I read it back in like nineteen eighty eight or nine or whenever yeah. it came out because it, it kind of played around with what a book could do. Mm-hmm. Because it would just go on for pages about every hair care and moisturizer product that yeah, he it was had all in his about bathroom. like the things he had, right? Yeah, and then a whole chapter would be devoted to just reviewing a Huey Lewis and the News album, right? Um, but <laughs> it reminds Chris Fartz's book reminds me of that because I swear to God, I've only gotten up to fear of music, but he lists everything he ate 
every single day of his life. It I seems do like. not. I do not know how he remembers. He talks about the food. He was journaling, I guess. Everywhere. Like he, he based this book on on the notes he made in his journal. But as if it were me, I would read my journal and read that I ate at a certain restaurant that day that I did a certain show. And I would say, well, that's probably not going to make it into Who the cares? real book. <laughs> But it is re- read it again. It is just filled. If you and for our listeners, if you read it, and I hope you do, because obviously we're big fans of Chris Farts here, as well as Tina Verymouth. Um, but uh, 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 just read it with an eye on anytime food is mentioned. <laughs> and he will, doesn't it, all the way up to the end when they're being inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You find out all about the shrimp they had at the party <laughs> afterwards. Oh boy, I can't wait to get to that. Um, it's very charming and and sweet that he like remembers all of that. And the songwriting stuff, it's just one person's Sure. Memory. I mean, who knows with that? Who stuff? knows? I, I mean, as far as I'm of... concerned, uh, on the television show Comedy Bang Bang, I wrote every sketch, but uh, maybe the writers would uh, dispute that. Who knows? Hmm. But I'm, you know, I'm the one with a podcast. There you go. You <laughs> I have can, the you're the one that gets to say it. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have podcasts. Um, okay, so they were dissatisfied with these demos that they were doing. So instead, what they decided to do was uh, run a lot of electrical cables up to Chris Farts and Tina Verymouth's um, loft in New York City. And uh, they just jammed. They just fucking jammed. Well, yeah, but the Chris Farts and, and Tina Verymouth, what they did, they almost tricked David, uh, Mr. Burns and George Harrison into coming over to start like those guys were not motivated to yes start they didn't want to do another they didn't want to do another record and so they they were kind of like hey we're jamming uh up in the loft do you want to come over like no agenda just jamming but that but here's how they tricked mr burns into, into coming over because he was being obstinate according to their book um they called up old sourpuss himself and said hey we're jamming do you want to come out come come out and play with us and Old Sourpuss is like, hmm, I don't play an instrument. I don't know what good I'll be, love. And they're like, we're just fucking around. God, like, put a goddamn relax. smile on your face. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. And he was like, oh, you make a good point, love. I'll be right over. And so they're jamming. And then they call up Mr. Burns and they say, hey, Brian's over here jamming with us. Do you want to come right. by? And like they hear a pew. And then suddenly there's like a, a Mr. Burns shaped hole in their wall because he's come in like the Kool-Aid man. That's he's right. like, old sourpuss is here. Where? That's right. um, so that's how they just that's how they started jamming for these sessions. And um, some really good songs came out of them. We'll talk about them a little later. Um, also, some interesting things that happened during the making of this record. Mr. Burns was in his loft in Alphabet City and he was robbed. As As he describes it, he... Likes to sleep in the nude. What? That's what he said. He, this is Mr. Burns who said this? Is this is Mr. Burns. And he likes he liked to sleep with the windows open. I guess maybe it was hot. Maybe it was summertime in New York City. Um, he liked to sleep in the nude with the windows open. And he woke up and there was a... Um, he heard like what he thought were mice scratching around. And he was like, them some loud ass mice. And so he sits up in his bed and he sees this dude in his loft just going through his stuff. So he says to himself, well, I want to go confront the guy, but I'm nude. 
Yeah. And if I and if I confront the guy and I'm nude, the guy will just laugh at me because there's my dirty dick just swinging in the wind. Yeah, you can't have your dirty old dick <laughs> right out there for everyone to see. So he's, as silently as he can, he slips on underwear <laughs> and a t-shirt, and then he confronts the guy, and he's like, "Hey, man, get out of my house! Get out of my house!" And the guy is startled and is about to, but instead grabs a letter opener and then puts it to Mr. Burns's neck and says, I know you have money. Give me your money. And Mr. Burns is like, I'm not an envelope. What are you doing? (laughs) I think I read in the quote that he was thinking that he thought that the letter opener might be kind of uh, not sharp. And he didn't didn't really know how sharp letter openers were, which I, I think they're sharp. I think he's wrong on that account. I think They're letter openers sharp. are somewhat sharp. I don't know if sharp. you can, like, slit a throat with a letter I opener. I feel like I've seen a movie where someone slit someone's throat with a letter opener. Oh, anyway, well, I wouldn't want to... I I wouldn't, wouldn't want to leave it to fate. I don't know. Um, so he just, he just went along with it and said, yeah, grab whatever you want. And after about an hour, the guy left. With some stuff? With or? some stuff, I guess, yeah. I mean, thank God not the master tapes to Fear of Music. So this was during the uh, the recording of said album. Yes, this is during the recording, and uh, he was living in in Alphabet City. Which uh, did you watch the the Go Go's documentary? By the way, no. I, is it good? Yeah, it's really good. Cool. Up, and oh, I watched cool. it the other night. It's really good. Um, I saw them at the Troubadour on their one of their reunion. Gee, why didn't that make it into the movie? I don't know. <laughs> They were great. They're great. They're great. Um, but uh, the one thing I wanted to mention is they they talk about Alphabet City at, during the time period, and they say it's really sketchy. Um, they were talking about how, uh, 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 um, oh, what's her name in the Go-Go's? Guitarist wrote- Jane Weedland? No, 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 no. Bonnie Bedelia? Bonnie Bedelia, yes. Uh, Bonnie Bedelia, um, she would, when they moved to New York, she would always be in Alphabet City- um, scoring heroin, huh. and that's uh, the the member of the Go Go's who got kicked out saw her there because the member of the Go Go's who got kicked out was so upset that she moved away from California to New York because she didn't want to run into any of the Go Go's. So, wow. so I she, didn't know they had kicked someone out. I got to watch this. They, yeah, it's it's really it's a really good documentary. But um, she saw her in Alphabet City. And she and she's good. She says, oh, that's when I knew that she must have a drug problem, because what else are you doing in Alphabet City? Mm-hmm. So I was surprised to learn that David, uh, Mr. Burns was living in Alphabet City, which from all accounts was a uh, sketchy area back then. Hmm. But who knows? He was on the eighth floor, he said. Um, let's see. Any other background we want to talk about for uh, Fear of Music? I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, That's, E. Zimbra is a big uh, leap yeah, well, forward. Yeah. yeah, we'll talk about it when we get there. We'll tell you what, why don't we uh, take a break? When we come back, we will talk about all of the songs in Fear of Music. This is You Talking talking Heads to My Talking Head. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You talking, talking heads to my talking head. We're talking about fear of music on this episode. And um, Adam, you you bought this record, not when it came out, but uh, after after Stop Making Sense, you went backwards and... Uh, yeah, and, but I think even... This. 
even later than that. I think I was in high school by the time I started really digging in and kind of mm-hmm. developing my own sort of taste. And this came with a, a bunch of uh, other CDs in the Columbia House uh, club that I did joined. Did you use your own name? I know we've talked about this before, but did you... I did used you sign up? many different names. <laughs> we've what talked about, about it, right? Yeah, yeah I, I used... I used Wiggy Wigbert. I used uh, my alias. I used Travis Bickle and uh, oh, a film fan. Yeah, dare we do our third episode of I Love Phil? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I was about to talk, and instead, you got, you some, got something got throat caught in my full throat. Of saliva. <laughs> oh boy. I don't know. When people say something got caught in my throat, it's always saliva, isn't it? Always. Oh, oh, it's like 100%. 99 times out of 100, it's saliva. And then that one time, it's come. Yep. All, all right. Always the time when you're <laughs> like with all your friends. And, and your boss is there and you're yep. waiting to hear if you got that big promotion. And That's instead. Right. You have the presentation at work. And, and instead, you open your mouth and just like <laughs> triples out. Just. <laughs> I'm just an entire mouthful falls out onto the table. <laughs> okay, let's talk about Ezra. Do you want to hear a little bit of it first? Uh, yeah, and then we'll talk about it. It. Here we go. This is Ezra, first track. Zimbra. Now this is a this was born out of a kind of a jam, although it says it's written by Mr. Burns, Old Sourpuss, and um, well, the lyrics were written by Hugo Ball. Um, right, it's an old poem, correct? Yeah. Well, Hugo Ball. So essentially, this sounds like sort of an African song, but. Um, Mr. Burns was having a lot of writing, a writer's block at the time. Um, he found everything he wrote to be kind of stupid. And so um, Old Sourpuss was like, well, oh, my mouth, the corners of my mouth hurt from frowning. So it's difficult to talk, David. But what if you were to use gibberish, gibberish language? Uh, well, you know, he, every once in a while, that Debbie Downer comes up with a pretty good idea. He does. And, you know, someone would say, Sourpuss, thank you so much. And he'd say, please, I don't accept compliments. They make me unhappy. Which 
my normal state is unhappy, so they make me the opposite. They make me unhappy of unhappy, which is happy, which is not what I like to be. You know, I, I, according to the book, at least, I believe he's said this is a jam. It sounds like a jam to all me, wrote yeah. together, and then suddenly the record comes out, and it says David Byrne and Brian Eno wrote it, and they were just like, what? Um... This is Robert it, Fripp on guitar, by the way. It's it's just incredible, but it, it feels like fundamentally that's what ended up breaking the band up is like just songwriting stuff. Yeah, I mean that's uh, honestly, if you watch that Go Go's documentary, it's it covers similar territory. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you two and REM were just smart to just blank Coldplay. Oh, do they do the same yeah, thing? Yeah, they do. Well, they, they they did it because they saw it worked for U2 and, and REM. Yeah. They were like, we don't want to be in that situation. Um, yeah, so so basically this is all sort of gibberish um, from a, a, a Hugo Ball uh, uh, Dada poem from the Dada movement. And uh, uh, kind of like... It's sort of uh, reminiscent of the Fela Kuti stuff that mm -hmm. uh, Brian Eno yeah. was so into when he first met uh, the Talking Heads and uh, kind of reminds me of of sort of what uh, Malcolm McLaren did with um, Adam and the Ants uh, and Bow Wow Wow and stuff like that, where he took uh, rhythms from, from other countries mm -hmm. and, and put a, like an English sensibility on it, which I think we'll talk more in detail about in our next episode because that album has uh, more of that. Um, what do you think of Izimbra? I love it. I think it's great. It's, it's, it's incredible. I, I think it's a great album opener and it's just sounds weird and fresh and hooky and, uh, and dancey and it's great. We have, you, uh, how about you? Yeah. Uh, similarly, it was uh, when I first put it on, I was surprised because this di didn't really seem like it was the type of music that Talking Heads put out, but uh, uh, definitely hooky. And I find myself uh, walking around the house just singing my own gibberish to it. Um, yeah. You know, because I I'm could sweeping the floor. My name is Scott Ocker. Man, yes, oh yes. Like that? Yeah, sort of like that. I have to constantly remind myself of what my name is. Yeah. So that helps with it. Work it into the lyrics. Uh, there are so many songs on this album that just get earwormed into my head. Yeah. Uh, what's so What's interesting about it is it is it is the one song on the record that is not lyrically similar to the rest of the record. Yeah. So the rest of the record, we should talk about sort of the the record as a whole. And the record has a whole. I mean, it certainly did um, in its vinyl and CD incarnations oh, right yeah, there in the had, center. Oh, yeah, you had to have one. Um, but um, basically what Mr. Burns is doing in this record is he's, t he, uh, Old Sourpuss had suggested to him, hey, what if the track listing was more like a table of contents? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a lot of one-word titles. And what Mr. Burns does with these is he takes like one word and then he sort of deconstructs it and finds a unique take on it, which we'll talk about when each one comes up. But E. Zimbra is the only song on the record that doesn't do that. I also read something interesting about the record, which said that uh, Mr. Burns wanted to, with all of those one word titles, he wanted you to be able to replace the music in Fear of Music with that with that word and that would be what the song was about. So hmm. paper, for instance, 
he wanted the lyrics to be fear of paper, essentially, or fear of drugs. So it's a very oh, interesting. It's a very paranoid album where every subject that he's talking about seems to be written from the point of view of a narrator who is paranoid afraid, yeah. and afraid of of what the subject matter is, even though these subject matters are uh, very mundane items. Um, yeah, and we'll get into that a little bit. Also, I wanted to talk about the. Uh, the cover, which I don't know if you had it as a record, uh, uh, as a vinyl record, Adam. I think my brother did. You knew how it has like the the in, the embossed, uh, yeah, yeah, like it's a tire, right? It it's it it has an embossed pattern, um, which when you would get the record, usually when you would get a record, it's just like shiny and flat, and this one was like had a raised embossed uh, uh, pattern all over it. And I read that George Harrison really wanted to do this. He designed this, I think. And he saw this pattern somewhere. I can't remember where it was, but he saw it at some store. And he was like, hey, can you, how much of this can you make me? Can you make like, you know, yards and yards and yards and yards of it? And they're all like, yeah, sure, we can do that. And it was supposed to be rubber. And then they got the cost of it. And it was just going to be way too much money. So instead, oh, they wow. found someone else who could do it like more in the cardboard kind of sleeve. But it definitely like sort of blew my mind because you'd never seen a record with an embossed raised uh, sleeve like that before. And would you say it's like a tire track or yeah, it sort of looks like that? It's kind of like X's. It sort of looks like a, a Goodyear. And then yeah. the the Talking Heads and the title of the album are sort of in what looks like almost a neon light uh yes a very a very antiseptic yes uh no no personality font that's in right. a way um and then uh, pet shop boys of course stole this idea for their album very where they had a raised um embossed uh, uh record sleeve as well and uh but talking heads as far as i know were the first ones to do it so were the beatles it, the first ones with white album because the the that was stamped, right? Wasn't that? I don't think it was like raised. No, the the, the actual the Beatles is embossed. That's what that I mean. One. I thought it was more. I thought it was more like an indentation, like stamped into it. But mm -hmm. it was ra it was raised. Really, I yeah. never had it as a vinyl. I just got it last night at uh, Target. <laughs> what? <laughs> they have like a pretty good record selection at Target. It was what weird. What the fuck are you doing hanging around the record section of a Target during quarantine for? That's all I do. That's all I do. <laughs> um, so back to the original point, E. Zimbra is the one sort of outlier, I think, of lyrically of this, where, where that's the only sort of thing that makes it stand apart or unique or not like the rest of the record to me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, let's go to track two. This is a, uh, the first example of one of these one-word title songs. This is Mind. Mm -hmm. 
So lyrically, it seems he, he's definitely trying to get someone to change their mind, obviously. Um, <laughs> you but think? it always seemed to me like he's acting like they're the inflexible one, but he seems very rigid about his point of view and, and like almost like he's trying to control them in a way like I need you to change your mind I'm, I need something to, to try to figure out how to change your mind about this which I always thought was interesting yeah it kind of seems like the the narrator of all these songs is sort of out of ideas of and a, a bit sort of out of control someone of- someone called it like a drug album where all of the narrators seem like they're paranoid and on a certain drug that's affecting their mental faculties in a way. I'm not sure if I subscribe to that theory, but um, yeah, I, I definitely don't think that the person the narrator is talking to is the problem. It seems like the narrator is. Yes. That is yeah, mind. Th- I I really like that song a lot. I think it's really and, good. And sonically, I think, you know, as opposed to the last record, more songs about buildings and food, where it seemed like uh, Old Sourpuss was putting weird sounds on top of songs that were already written um, mm-hmm. as as like the 77 songs. And it's like, okay, let's polish these turds. Not that they were turds because they're good songs. Mm-hmm. But you know what I mean? It seemed like it was a, a layer on something that already existed. All of these right. songs sound like they are written for Brian Eno yeah. you know, to fuck around with. They were like born from this. Yeah. This new way of playing. Yeah. All right, let's go to Paper. This is track three. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, more paranoid <laughs> ramblings. I was well. I was reading it today, and here's what I think of the lyrics. And bear in mind, this is from the point of view of a dumb guy, me. Um, so he talks about paper uh, and how when you hold it up to the light, rays of light shine through it, which is an interesting thing. I mean, because paper exists, it's a thing. So why should? you see through light through it you know what i mean it's like an interesting thing huh. so then he's then he's talking about writing i think for a while where like you write stuff on the paper but then you can still see through it now when you, we write stuff down on paper it's like what is usually written on paper is like facts and stuff right. so why should you be able to see through s- something when you write it down on paper 
Um, I don't know. Anyway, I'm blowing my own mind when I think about this. But it, you uh, mean that's what this person writing about it thought, or this is what David Byrne was talking? This is what he was sort of talking about. I think is the fact of the sort of impermanence of ideas, maybe, yeah. and how uh, it all starts with this ordinary thing of paper that a lot of things go on books and ideas and his lyrics and stuff and the fact that it's see-through and that that rays of light come through it is an interesting idea anyway i don't know that was my interpretation of it um that is paper um it's it's that one is a little harder to understand i think than some like the next song cities i think is pretty straightforward yeah Um, and cities is a real catchy this is a jam this is track four cities The slow fade up. Think of London, small city, dark, dark in the daytime. People sleep, sleep in the daytime. If they want to, if they want to, I'm checking them out. I'm checking them out. I got it figured out. I got it figured out. Good boy. So this is the narrator basically taking the idea of cities and and what city you're going to live in. And he's like stressing out about choosing what city he's going to live in, which, I mean, technically, no one ever really chooses what city they're going to live in, like from a list of cities, right? It's like usually, you know, you move to a city because, oh, they have a job that I want or... Um, I have friends there, family there, but it's it's interesting to view it as like a guy looking at a list of cities and going, okay, which one do I live in? Yeah, and being afraid of them. Like he's like, London, it's dark. and Yeah, it's dark during the daytime. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Got to find myself a city to live in. Um, some people have called this kind of like a comedy record when you look at the lyrics. <laughs> really? Like I, I noticed two reviews that said, it's a very funny record and almost a comedy record, which I think is interesting. Um, okay, this is I, track five. Yes, I just think that's a Stone Cold classic. That that's a great, great jam. Uh, yeah. One of the best on the record. And speaking of great jams, this is one of uh, Talking Heads' most iconic songs, maybe top five songs uh, that people know from them. This is uh, track number five. This is Life During Wartime.
Life During Wartime. Classic. I think that's a perfect song. I mean, I, I even prefer the Stop Making Sense version even more, but I mean, that's it's pretty a, that's close, though. I think incredible. it's incredible. Um, I, I think when I heard it, I kind of assumed it might have been about Vietnam, and I, I read someone talk about how they think it's from the, the uh, point of view of someone in, uh, in the Viet Cong, but most of the lyrics don't line up to that, and I actually no. read an interesting uh, quote from da- uh, Mr. Burns where he says he wrote it in his loft on 7th and Avenue A, and he was thinking about uh, Bader Meinhof, Patty Hearst, Tompkins Square. This is a song about Alphabet City. I think it's sort of like a dystopian future song. Where... Yeah, he's talking about all the different cities that are shutting down, and yeah, it's and... like a... It's sci-fi. Patty, Patty Hearst. It, it w- once I read that, I was I clicked into it I, because I, I recently had read the great uh, biography of Patty Hearst by Jeffrey Tubin, which is really interesting. Oh, yeah. which I, I didn't really know anything about that it's period of, of time, even though I was alive. Um, but you know, just the whole like being with the Symbionese Liberation Army. Yeah. Um, it's sort of the point of view of someone who's in one of those, like in a tight, you remember how they were all hiding out in like burnt out, you know, homes and stuff yeah. like that. Remember the one that Daryl Gates like shot up on live television? Yeah. It's crazy. Crazy. The fact, the fact that like there were so many bombs going off in the early to mid seventies everywhere in the United States. I don't remember that. It's, it's crazy to me. No, there is so much seventies, like post Vietnam, craziness in this country that has just sort of faded people don't really uh, remember yeah like i saw the movie running on empty you know that one about the the couple who changed their their identities river phoenix yeah yeah. river phoenix and i was always like oh what is they bombed somewhere i didn't really know but just to know that bombs were just fucking going off everywhere and usually people would try to wait and they were government buildings like post offices and stuff where they would wait till after hours when they knew no one would be in there yeah um, but every once in a while, there'd be like a janitor or something who would get killed. Anyway, it's a crazy time in history. Uh, it's an, an interesting book. You should read it. Okay, so this is the last song on tr- on side one. This is Memories Can't Wait. And this is a trip. Here we go. This is definitely the most like oppressive heavy. and like sonically heavy yeah. song on the record. 
it, it really is one of these ones where it's like, oh wow, I don't think it would really exist without old sourpuss. Yeah. Um, you know, like it's just a really good song because of his influence, I think. Although uh, the band Living Color did a cover of it. Oh um, yeah, that's a little more just of a normal, like a rock cover. Let's hear a little bit of that and see. Comparatively, read. Yeah. Corey Glover. Can you name another person in living color? Corey Glover. I just did. Oh, you did? <laughs> Idiot. I saw them. I've seen them. I saw them with, um, listen to this lineup. Stetasonic first. Living Stetisonic? Color. Stetasonic? Yeah, a uh, hip-hop band. Do not remember them. Then Living Color. Then Public Enemy, who did three songs, I think, before they had to shut it down because of riots. This was right after the Run DMC Long Beach uh, when concert when someone was killed. Hmm. Um, and then Fishbone did two hours after That's that. That's awesome. What an incredible show. Anyway, it sounds a little antiseptic compared to the old Sourpuss version, don't you think? Yeah, they didn't really do a ton to it. But it's just, I mean, I remember liking it because I... Me too. I was not as familiar with the Talking Heads version. Which record is that from of That's Living from Color? Uh, Vivid, their their debut, that has Cult of Personality and all that. That's a good record. I like. I loved uh, that single off their second album. I thought that was great. The, is it Time's, Time's Up? Up? Yeah. I forget what the single was called, but... I think it's... Uh, type, maybe. Stereotype. Yeah, type, yeah. Type, yeah. All right, so that is that's the end of uh, side one, and we're moving on to side two. Now, this is uh, another entry into the one-word title, um, taking an ordinary thing, and, and Mr. Burns got excited by this idea of ordinary things seeming dangerous and oppressive, and this is like yeah. the most extreme example of it. This is called Air, and it's about uh, the narrator is uh, so afraid of air, he's afraid to breathe because of what might be in the air. This is Tina Verymouth and her sisters singing. And Tina Verymouth's just doing great work on this record with her bass guitar. Hell yeah. shit another classic so, so far, good seven classics in a row on this record unbelievable um for a while this was my favorite of really? theirs uh let's go to the next track this is track eight and this is i hate oh to say it, another sec this is heaven 
And this was a song that Mr. Burns wasn't even going to write, I think, but he was humming the melody. He thought it was too stupid or something. Uh, and he was humming the melody in Old Sourpuss, like on an atypical day. I don't know whether it was his birthday or it was Christmas Day or something, but he lit up and was like, what a beautiful melody, David. You must write it. It is Did he actually smile? He may have. I don't know. It's crazy. Who knows what's up with that guy? But this is heaven. This is probably stop making sense, right? Because he and Tina do a um, duet on it. Yeah, but that wasn't on the album. That was only in the movie, and so you didn't really remember it. So this is the version that you know the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the ta- the stop making sense uh, version, though. But yeah, this is a great. This is a, a great one. Heaven is a place where nothing really happens. Um, pretty sacrilegious, I have to yeah. say. Because, as we all know, that's where all the best stuff happens. <laughs> you got Jimmy on guitar. It's what we're all trying to do. Just get to heaven, man. Hell yeah. Heaven. Um, okay, so then we have three tracks left. And uh, after eight Stone Cold Classics, this is where the album, for me, takes a little bit of a dip, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know about you, but uh, mm-hmm. let, let's hear a song called Animals. Adam I really like this song I think it's cool this actually does when I think of post-punk this sound this is what post-punk is to me yeah like not very melodic and uh with that guitar sound anyway I it sounds a little unfinished to me yeah um not my favorite um the idea though that animals I think he's basically like 
rubbing up against the idea of animals being th- this majestic part of you of uh, uh, life on Earth and uh, just boiling it down to like they shit on the floor and they see in the dark. They think so they're, they're so smart. Um, yeah, kind of have it kind of being afraid of of animals. It's a little but, the, the but also idea, contemptuous of them. Yes. The idea of this song is maybe a little first drafty like it's I don't know. First draft, best draft. That's what I say. That's what I say with my comedy. <laughs> it's not the best song on the record, but I do like it. Um, this is the next song. We have two more. The next is called Electric Guitar. And this is, from what I can tell, something about the electric guitar being outlawed in the future. <laughs> which It is? Uh, something like that. Anyway, let's hear it. What do you think, Adam? I really like this, too. I think it's, like you said before, I think it's very CBGB-ish and weird and art schooly in the late 70s, and I like it. This record is sort of sequenced to me like a uh, Netflix reality show, like uh, uh, Queer Eye or Nailed It, where they put the best episodes at the front of the... Beginning of the season. At the beginning of the season, because they... The studies show that if you watch, I think it's like 60% of a season, you'll watch it all the way to the end, even right. if the last episodes suck. And they usually put the terrible ones at the end. Anyway, right. that's that's how I feel about this record. Um, and this is the last song. This is Drugs. It used to be called Electricity, but then um, Mr. Burns did a rewrite and made it about drugs. So let's hear Drugs. Again with the long fade up.
I never really had a lot of patience for this one. <laughs> there we go. One one minute and a half in, and it's he started singing. Not my not my favorite either. Probably. Do you want to hear a little bit of the previous version when it was electricity? See if you like it better. Uh, sure. <laughs> Yeah, about the same. Okay, yep. anyway. <laughs> um, okay, so that is Fear of Music. Um, Adam, what do we think? I, I I think it's terrific, and it's, you know, what is it, 10 songs? 11. 11 songs, and what is it, 8 Stone Cold Classics? Yeah, that's a high, high ratio. That's I pretty defy great. I any other band to hit that yeah. other than maybe the Cars or Pretenders on their first records. I agree um, with you that those last three are not... SCCs, but but you enjoy uh, them. Yeah, except drugs. I would just leave that off, maybe. It's well, without whatever. drugs, we're uh, we're only at the thirty-five minute mark on the record, which you know back in the seventies was fine. But uh, in any case, uh, yeah, I think this is this record is one that uh, really seems to me like the the collaboration between them and old sourpuss is finally clicking on all cylinders and perhaps oh, even yeah. into overdrive Got um, those cylinders going so a couple of things happened when they went on tour with this record um which will sort of set up our next episode first of all they had trouble playing these songs live um with just the four of them and they were kind of not really able to figure out how to best do it. And I think that's what sort of got them into thinking, hey, we should hire people to go on the road with us for the next record because yeah. the, their songs had gotten way too complicated yeah. for them as a four piece. Um, and then on the on the tour, um, a guy named Adrian Ballou went to go yeah. see them. And he was David Bowie's guitar player. And George Harrison, who uh, is a great guitar player, I mean, lead guitarist of the Beatles, he saw Adrian Ballou in the crowd, I think, before the show and recognized him, And which Adrian Ballou was always like, he recognized me, David Bowie's guitar player? <laughs> but right. George Harrison was really into him and was like, hey, why don't you, uh, why don't you play with us uh, during our encore? And Adrian Ballou was like, well, what song? Because um, he, he wasn't really a big fan of Talking Heads, he says. And he and the, he said, uh, Psycho Killer. Play, can you play Psycho Killer? He goes, I don't really know it. Mm -hmm. He goes, that's fine. Just like do a guitar freak out at the end. It'll be great. <laughs> so he goes and he, he does like a five minute solo that's just fucking crazy. And everyone goes apeshit for it. And that's where they meet Adrian Ballou, who will factor into further episodes down the line. And uh, I did read uh, one quote from, I think, Tina Verymouth, who said that Mr. Burns was so impressed with that solo, he started to try to play it like Adrian Ballou afterwards, yeah. but he but he couldn't quite do it right. Yeah. And so it, it sounded shittier after that um, <laughs> whenever they would play it. But That's um, hilarious. But uh, so Adrian Ballou will factor into further episodes. And then... Um, the other thing that happened during this tour is uh, Tina and Chris Farts are doing an interview, I think, after their final show in Europe or something. And On this tour? On this tour. And the interviewer says to them, just kind of casually, he drops, so 
what are you guys going to do now that David Byrne has quit the band? Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> and, right. and they're like, what? And he goes, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, interviewed uh, Mr. Burns and he mentioned that he was never going to work with you guys again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're like, well, uh, he didn't tell that to us. And then when they tried to follow up, he had already left Europe and he was he was gone. <laughs> There's all kinds of weird maneuvers like that uh, yeah. throughout their, their run. Um, yeah. So according to Chris Farts, who knows uh, if they will ever make another album ever again. Um, but I got word while we were listening to all of that from uh, good old Chef Kevin over here that uh, Kevin, I believe, says that he's found my Matlock clip. No way. Really? I believe so. So uh, oh, take it shit. away. Take it away, Kevin. He's He's found the clip and the weird line. So here we go. That's it. There I am. Do you see me? That's you? That's you. That's me, I mean. <laughs> well, That's I'm a weird. head of hair, that, Scott. I, I have a bushy, like a bushy haircut that's very full up top and then sort of like shaved on the sides in the back a little bit. And you can tell you're trying to really act uh, real, and like, I'm look I'm like you're looking. Yeah, yeah. There, because obviously my, my back is to the camera and I'm yep. like, you know, unless I make a lot of motions, no one's ever going to notice me. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, let's hear the Matlock line. Oh, it would be, I think it would be just right after this, Kevin, actually. In the You're same going to, shot, right? In the, yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe they cut it out. Because it just cuts to him. Oh, yeah. What are you doing here, Ben? Okay, let's, pa let's pause it. I think they cut that scene out. Which one were you looking for, uh, Kevin? Because you, you found a really weird line. Tyler, that was a very successful trip to Charleston. Sure was. You know, I met this guy at the airport. He's got a truckload of frozen pie crusts. I get my hands on those suckers, I'm going into the Christmas pecan pie business. You know what? I was driving through this little town one time. It wasn't really a town. It was just a general store with a gas pump out front. While I was gassing up, I went in. And I saw the walls of the general store were just lined with these bags of salt. So I said to the fellow, I said, you must sell a lot of salt. He said, no, I don't sell much salt. But the fellow that sells me salt, now he sells salt. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Wow. That's some corn pone wow. country wisdom there. Um, yes, now that I watch it, I recall that essentially I was upset when the, when the episode came out because he did a whole scene with me, like facing more towards camera uh -huh. with me, like looking at them yeah. and, 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 uh, uh, Andy Griffith, like fucked up the line so bad that when I saw it, I was like, of course they cut it out. Yeah. <laughs> like what he said didn't make any sense anymore. So you'd now only see it as an establishing shot. But uh, Kevin, what what uh, episode is that from? It's season one, episode nine or something. Is that what, uh, if people want to take a look at it? 
he says yes. Um, very good. So that is my Matlock. Uh, what, uh, what do you think? What an Incredible. entree into um, Incredible. <laughs> into <laughs> It's worth lying about acting. your age for that one. <laughs> I think I mean, it was worth it for the, I think, what did I get paid? As I recall, I was there all day. Like $55? It was probably $55, but uh, $55 I really needed at the time, so I was very happy to get it. Um, Well, that is going to do it for us. This uh, uh, Fear of Music classic record, we won't say exactly where it fits on our uh, uh, rankings of them, but uh, it's a pretty good one, don't you think? Pretty good. Pretty Pretty good, bro. Pretty good, bro. All right, we are going to be back next week talking about their next record. That is, of course, Remain in Light. And until then, there's nothing else to say other than we certainly hope that you have found what you're looking for. Bye. Bye.